Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. If you like my show, you're going to love the official Lakers podcast on Podcast One Sportsnet. Join Emmy-winning sportscasters Susie Schuster, along with producer Aaron Larsoul, this week as they face off against the Nuggets and the Celtics. I did the official Lakers podcast a couple weeks ago during the All-Star break. It was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed talking with them. So you can also go back and listen to that and keep up with their current episodes. And you can download the official Lakers podcast every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I decided to bring back Matt Moore, who's done the Tears podcasts with me for this entire season. That's been a fun exercise. And this is an unusual, kind of a challenging time to do Tears because there's a lot of weirdness going on, but that's part of why I wanted to talk with Matt about it. We, we discussed the logistics of that a little bit at the beginning of the show. We go through, of course, all 30 teams, what's going on with them, where we kind of place them relative to each other, what lenses are important at different parts of the league is another, and, and where things are going. We actually talk a little bit about the offseason too, because I can't help myself and, and Matt enjoys it as well of course. So episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus and true car. Great place to sell or trade in your car. Episode runs, I think it's about an hour 10, go on to a, a lot of different things. I mean, you get into sidetracks because of how many teams there are and relative to each other and where you draw the lines and all that. I, I consistently enjoy these conversations and particularly enjoy doing so with Matt Moore. So here you go. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I love doing this pod. It's such a fun exercise. And I, I hadn't really thought about this being a particularly challenging time to do it, but it, it absolutely was for me because I think there was a lot of stuff to reconcile. Yeah. And I think March is just difficult in general. Like I've been trying to, to warn people about this on Twitter to no avail, but like March is when a lot of weird stuff happens. Like a lot of teams that have been good the entire season have will ha- have slumps in March, and everyone's like, "Oh, they're tailing off." I tell you that. I knew they weren't this good. They're not that good. Look at them. They're they're turning into a pumpkin, and and teams that surge right now. It's like I knew this team could be this guy. I tell you, they're getting it together. They're gonna be dangerous. And it's like March to me is actually like the least meaningful month because just past All Star break, teams are largely in the dead zone. There's some teams that are tanking, some teams that are not. Fewer this season. Um, some of the outcomes are a little bit more wacky. There's lots of injuries that have piled up. Like. I'm just not sure that this is the best time to be evaluating teams. I want to wait till like later in the month. Um, like the last two weeks of the month, I consider it to be a little bit more valuable. But the all-star break until mid-March, I'm kind of like, there's a bunch of wonky stuff that happens right now. Another part of the story, and this will come in later, is teams that you, you talked about, you know, like the teams that are good, that, that, that have bad months, and the ones that are they're bad that do better. And there are a couple of different places where this happens, where you have a team that is outperforming where they are in terms of their current, like, let's call it record. And so you're saying they're going, well, well, what does that mean? And I, and I draw a differentiation between that when it's a playoff team and when it's not, because if it's a playoff team, then if that momentum continues, and I, you're very, very good to note that it we're six weeks away from the end of the regular season. So anybody who's playing super well now, you wouldn't expect that to continue for another six weeks, you know, and then, yep. and then into the playoffs. So you, so you have all that kind of step to square as well. And, and yeah, it, it, but I did think it was an interesting exercise because I, it forced me to get out of that part of it. So you so you have to say, okay, what, not necessarily what if this is real and what if it isn't, but how do we square these two parts of it? Understanding that it's, it's imperfect inputs. And I, I kind of like that. 
Yeah, and you know, I think like Portland's a good example of this. Like Portland, they're um, yeah, I work at Action Network, so we're tracking uh, against the spread data and stuff like that. And um, Terry Stotts' March record is just absurd. Like it's just ridiculous. He he wins like sixty. He covers sixty percent of his games in the month of March. Like they just roll. And like right now. You look at the Blazers, and it's like, oh, look at this what this road trip they went on. Like the Blazers are coming together. Yusuf Nurkic has is gotten it. It's all coming. And it's like, look, okay, they played the Celtics when they were at their lowest nadir. They played the Sixers without Joel Embiid. They lost to the Raptors. Um, and so it's like, yeah, you went on this great road trip. Congratulations. But you, like when you play teams, matters a lot as well. And so if you catch the right teams at the right time, things look dramatically different. Yeah, I think that's definitely a fair point and context. I mean, it's amazing how quickly context disappears just because there's so much to take in that you just forget it, but that it's so important to, to really piece together where a lot of that stuff is going. And so we'll start the actual tiers with the same question I think we've, we've had every time we've done this, which is, do you have the Golden State Warriors in a tier by themselves? I do. Still I'm up there by themselves. I'm not falling for this nonsense. I'm not falling for it. I'm not going to get suckered in by all the talk. I'm not, I don't care how many 20 point home losses they have. I don't care about how surly Kevin Durant is. I don't care about how bad the, the Marcus Cousins fit is. This is still the Warriors. I, I had said, uh, that the Warriors were going to push from that late January when they got Cousins through the All-Star break. They were going to rack up big wins and make their point, and then they were going to coast out. Now, this isn't all coasting. Cousins does present them some real trouble because of his injury status and the way he's playing. Um, but I continue to believe that a lot of this is just the Warriors have nothing to prove. They know they're going to get a top-two seed. They don't even have to worry about getting the one seed. Like They don't have to worry about that. If Denver gets the one seed, great. That's fine. They have no issues going to Denver for a game one of the Western Conference Finals in the event that Denver does actually make it there, which is a question mark all of its own. So, like, Golden State just doesn't have to worry about it. So I am still very much with the belief that the Warriors are on their own tier, and until – the Bucks have the best chance – to get there, uh, but I, to me, I've got to go ahead and leave the Warriors as a class to themselves. I did the same, but this was the closest I've come to moving away from that. And it, and it wasn't so much that they've been playing poorly right now or anything like that. It's it's because of the possibility that they are going to, when it actually matters, not right now, rely on players and lineups that are not their best groups. And Kerr is, Kerr is oftentimes, I mean, this is true going back years, he has been very comfortable going to what he needs to once he needs to. And that's a, an unusual place to be. You know, I, if I had the example that the, the, the five man lineup that the the best four, well, five man lineup that the Warriors have this year, last year, and the year before is Curry, Clay, Iguodala, Kevin Durant, and Draymond Green. That lineup has started a total of, I believe it is five games ever. And they still play plenty. They still close every single game. And so the only, the thing that gives me the most pause is not that that, that group is going to have trouble. It's that they might not play together enough. But what helps the Warriors is, you know, they should be able to make it through the first round clean. Second round, it will depend a lot on where they go. And then after that, by that point, I think they will have, you know, they'll know what they need to do and they'll know how good these teams are. And then they won't, they won't lollygag around. Which is why, you know, I track these playoff races every, really closely every year. It's why I'm into it again this year. You know, right now, uh, Houston moved into third last night by virtue of division tiebreaker. 
if Houston winds up in the four, that radically changes things. If Houston catches Golden State in the second round, that could be entirely different than if they get them in the Western Conference Finals. Um, I think Houston wants the opposite. I think Houston wants to go ahead and get the second or third seed and then try and do the exact same thing as last year. I wouldn't. I would want to get them earlier, but I don't have the same confidence in them that the Rockets have in themselves. So, like, a lot of this is just, like, when do you play who you play? You know, if it's... If the Warriors wind up in the one and the three six is Houston OKC, the Warriors are going to breeze. Like Utah, Portland, Denver can't touch them. Can't touch them. And so if you keep Houston OKC out of their way for the first two rounds, then I think you're right. Golden State will figure out various solutions. Um, what will be interesting will be is is you mentioned the kind of about that that best lineup. Is there is there a team that can create enough pressure on the other lineups? to force changes to keep that best lineup off the floor? Like, is there a team that can come out and really give them enough issues to be like, well, no, Kerr had to get Iguodala back in earlier, or, you know, Kerr had, you know, they managed to get Draymond Green in foul trouble. Like, all these things, I think, cause issues. They do, and can a team break the Curry-Durant stagger? I mean, that's the big one. If you, if you can do that, then it, it changes the dynamics of a lot of it. I mean, the Curry and Durant have both been better when the other one's been off the floor this year. I mean, the Durant minus Curry offense has been shockingly good this year, but I'm not necessarily sure that that will persist as much against the best of the best. And yeah, I think a lot of teams can because something, especially with the, the Eastern teams, and granted, that would be pretty far into all this, obviously, is that those teams are meaningfully deeper. I mean, if Toronto can get healthy, they have a lot of good guys. They can put together an eight or nine man lineup. The Bucks are absolutely loaded now. Not a perfect team, but they're they're loaded. And Houston, by virtue of having, if, if Chris Paul, and I mean, this is one of the huge questions remaining in the season, like Chris Paul has looked a lot more like himself over the last couple weeks. If that's true, because the way D'Antoni runs that stagger, if they can't contain I'm guessing that'll be hardened in those early second unit minutes. If they can't do that, then they have to switch something else. Then, yeah, you're right. Life gets a lot harder for them. Yeah, you know, and and that's a, where all this comes from. I mean, but the Houston question is just interesting because, like, Houston just makes them play stupid. Like, I'm, I haven't seen this with Golden State at all. No one makes them play as dumb as Houston does. That switch just – Golden State turns into this direct versus them, and I still can't figure out why. Okay, I have I have part of an answer there. It's because it's the Houston defense does something that the Warriors defense does, which is that it 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 gets teams working more into iso ball and the Warriors. Yeah, but like, uh, so uh, sorry to cut you off. No, I, just, go I ahead. get frustrated with this because they're not the only team that switches. And versus other teams that switch, Golden State still runs its offense and executes and does it fine. And for some reason, versus Houston. That's when the Warriors are like, well, I guess we're just gonna have to ISO. And every time I'm like, no, you don't. You don't have to ISO. Like, still move your off ball shit. Like, you're still the best team in the league in terms of your offensive structure. Like, I get the the, the switches on stuff like Curry coming off of stuff. You're gonna have to execute better. I get that. But I would still be running that stuff rather than just being like, well, I guess we're gonna have to ISO because it's like, why are you playing into what they want to do? versus what makes you great. Keep trying to execute and do what you do. I agree with you. I think the difference as it as it is would be physical strength. It's the same thing that gave the Warriors trouble with Oklahoma City back in the day. I mean, guys like Dion Waiters just could get into you and so there the the Rockets have a critical mass of physically strong shorter in stature guys, you know, like Chris Paul plays above his height, Eric Gordon, James Harden. And so I think some of it is like just dealing with that kind of stuff. And and Houston, also another thing that Houston does that really screws up the Warriors is they are the best team in the league from what I've seen 
at ignoring or exploiting non-shooters. And so what that does is it just kind of screws up some of the some of the ball movement and player movement. And so like if they just leave a guy, they've done it with Iguodala in the past. If depending on who actually makes the Warriors postseason rotation, there are a bunch of different guys they could try it with this year. And they're good at that. I think that contributes as well. And I think some of it is and my theory with this is with Kevin Durant that Durant is more comfortable just doing that. Like if it's like, okay, you know, like you're basically, you're forcing me to play a hand that I'm comfortable playing in the first place. And I think that leads to some of it too. Moving on to the second tier. Sure. We can move on to that. I I mean, for me, the differentiators, once you get past the Warriors, really what you're looking at is how easy, how reasonable of a case is it? And so I kind of have three groups of teams. The legit contenders is the term I use, but it's where basically where the case is the easiest. Then there are possible contenders where it can absolutely happen, but I think it, it's it's more of a high-end outcome rather than an, an easier case. And then there's a group where I just, they're very good teams, but I don't really see it playing out that way. So using that as the foundation, my first line of separation among the other, of among that remaining group is Milwaukee and Toronto being there. I, you know, it, it, it's a tough call, but that's where I'm going for right now. I'm with you on one. Uh, I've actually got a, my second tier is just one team and it's the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, I, I, I can get that. I, I don't really, you know, for me, it, I was a little bit shaky having Toronto in there. I don't think they have played as well as the Bucks. I don't think they have earned it, but I get the theory of them. I mean, Kawhi is an amazing defender when he when he's onto it and the idea that what we're getting game by game from him might be a little bit different and they just have a lot of different talents. So yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think that was one of the more challenging distinctions that I had to make in it. And I'm not surprised that or critical that you went the other way, but yeah, I'm, I'm still going to put Toronto in there at least for right now. Yeah. I want to see what happens with a Spurs team where Kawhi is the best player on the floor. Um, in 2014, you know, he won finals MVP, but it was mostly for his defensive work versus LeBron. <clears throat> and when he's been the best player, like, obviously, like, they had a really great r- run in 2017. Um, but then 2018 happened, and I don't really know what would have been with that. Um, I kind of want to see it versus the Bucks. Like, I'm at the point with the Bucks where I'm just like, maybe we're just overthinking this. Like, maybe we've just spent too much time basing on, on, prior opinions and assumptions and getting lured in by the Raptors hot start. Uh, the Raptors very quietly, like when the Raptors look bad, they look bad and the Bucks almost never look bad. They look bad this week versus the Suns because again, March is weird, but generally speaking, like the Bucks don't have those kind of nights. And so, um, for me, it's like, look, the Bucks have this historic point differential and the Bucks do all these things really great. And the Bucks are, um, just like this elite team over and over and over again. Um, I'm at the point where I'm just like, nope, like the Milwaukee Bucks are definably the second best team in the league behind the Warriors. They have the best chance to beat them and they are materially ahead of all other teams. I wanted to throw an idea at you and that is, I believe in my own mind, and this is completely unfair and ridiculous. If the Bucks had not made the playoffs last year, I probably would be more confident in them because that series, and it was so many of the same players, it would be like if you made a comedy movie with a bunch of actors that were in direct and the same director that made a horror movie together. You're like, something terrible is going to happen here. I've already seen this happen with you guys. And that series where they should have beaten the Celtics, they couldn't get out of their own way. You know, Bledsoe was awful in that series. He has been much better since. 
And so, so you're just sitting there, but you're like, well, it's Budenholzer. They have Brook Lopez. They have much better supporting surrounding talent than they did before. They have a much better scheme. And so I think for myself, I just, that's something I have trouble reconciling. And that's the reason, even though I firm, firmly acknowledge that they've been the best regular season team, I'm sitting there going like, they've already been exposed, even though it's a very different team. Like that's the doubt that's in my mind. Yeah, see, I feel the opposite, where I feel very much like, because of last year, I had more confidence in them, where I'm like, they have the worst playoff coach we've seen in a while. And I don't want to bag on Joe Prunty unnecessarily, but it was rough. Like, that series, it was just so evident that the edge was coaching, that it was just Stevens just coached rings around Prunty, and the Bucks were the more talented team because Kyrie and Hayward were out. Um, and they should have won that series based off of talent, but they just kept doing the dumbest things and making things really hard on themselves. And versus now, it's like that's not going to happen. Um, I have questions about Bud in a playoff environment because I watched him mangle the approach to LeBron. <laughs> Or or so, the or like some of his weird rotational decisions or dealing with foul trouble, all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Like he and like honestly, you know, that 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 two thousand fifteen Hawks team that was so brilliant, they were a mess versus the Nets. Like they they really struggled versus the fountain of sadness nets. They should have gotten beaten by the Wizards. Like well, and, and, Bud has not had like a really brilliant playoff run the way some top coaches have. Um what I'm encouraged by is how much he's adjusted this year. And the way that their roster enables him, it makes it easier on him to do so. He doesn't have to worry so much about getting wild or, or making a, a crazy decision. It's like, oh, no, like if we go small with Giannis at the five, I still have like really good NBA players and Nikola Mirotic at the four and Chris Middleton at the three. Uh, like, I, And if they go big, it's like, no, no, like we can counter with size and that's okay. Like they have all these – they have the ability to be flexible um, and so that gives me encouragement. And so to me, it's, it's more like they should have won last year. The only thing holding them back was coaching. That's not as much of a problem this year. So they should be better. The Bucks also have wonderful personnel, let's say specifically against the Warriors. I mean, Bledsoe can do a fantastic job against Steph Curry. There are no back-to-back games. They they don't have a perfect Kevin Durant defender, but they have a, a number of guys that they can throw at him to varying success. And then they also have just a bunch of athletic guys that that won't get, you know, caught as much depending on what lineups they throw out there. And obviously that's a big thing. Like, I actually really like Miritich against the Warriors. Yeah, if he gets on, on Steph, that might be a problem. But I think he could do a fine job against Kevin Durant. I don't really remember off the top of my head how those guys have been. But before I get into that, actually, actually I want to mention this before I forget it. I like that you brought up Bud, Bud against the the Nets because th- there's a parallel there for me with Dwayne Casey. And the series that convinced me that Dwayne Casey was, you know, that he wasn't the guy, I mean, obviously they didn't have Kawhi or anything at that moment, was not when they lost to the Cavs again and in, you know, spectacular flame-out fashion. It was that they, this, how badly they played against the Wizards in the series before. And I'm just sitting there going, you should not have trouble with this team. And that's yep. what concerned me. Yep. Yep. And that's the thing is like... But it's really under the radar, but Bud's playoff history is spotty. But then you also have to look, like, the good news for them, if we're evaluating this from the perspective of, if we know the Warriors are above them, like, in the East, Brad Stevens' playoff history is not stellar. Like, he's made two Eastern Conference Finals, but both times he struggled in the first two rounds just to get there. But they should have lost the Bucks. We just said that. You know, he should have lost the Bucks last year. Uh, they should have lost to the Wizards in 2017. Um, they should have. Uh, so, like, there's been these teams that have outplayed them. Um, Toronto, I mean, Nick Nurse comes from that same Dwayne Casey tree that had so many issues. 
throughout the years in the playoffs. I don't have a lot of confidence in Nurse being definably better there. Um, Brett Brown was, was sorry, it was kind of a disaster last year in the playoffs. Like, my biggest concern, if, if the, if the Bucks are, are gonna be facing a playoff coach, my biggest concern is honestly either, like, Eric Spolstra in a 1-8 or Nate McMillan. Like, those are the coaches I think I'm most scared for, for Bud being matched up against. That's a great point, and it, it, I, it's something I had thought about a little bit with the, the nature of these kind of top five teams in, in the Eastern Conference is that they don't really have that pedigree, have that history, and Nick Nurse, it's sort of paralleling Kenny Atkinson, where the best case scenario is that we know nothing, and so maybe they end up being being good, but we just we don't have the grounds to make that as a statement, Right. and so it's possible. I'm not going to write it off, but at least they don't have baggage. I guess that's a good thing. So much more to talk about with Matt. But first, a message from betonline.ag. The month of March is continuing on with lots of action, NBA, college basketball, NHL. And I, I mean, I talk about basketball for a living, and it's a great time for the NBA trying to figure out all these things. If you if you think you have an edge, it's, it's a particularly good time. College basketball getting into the most fun part of the year, some high-profile games, and then, of course, we're getting into conference tournaments very, very soon as well. And then the NHL is in full swing, just like the NBA is. And so... A great way to engage with that is betonline.ag. If it's a, a game that you know you're going to watch, you can get more invested in it. If you think you have an advantage, you think there's something that you know, or, oh, this team really doesn't match up well against them, you can you can test out your ideas there as well. And something that I've really enjoyed, I've dabbled with it, is in-game live betting. And so with in-game live betting, you can get a feel within it. You know, like if it's a team has a bad first half and you think they're going to be a lot better or that the wheels are going to come off, something like that, you can do that as well. If you do, you go to betonline.ag and use that promo code PODCAST1. And that A, tells them that you came from us, which is great, helps us out, and to get you a 50% sign-up bonus, which is great. So whether you're into basketball, UFC, NHL, baseball's coming in soon, you can do so. Again, betonline.ag, use that PODCAST1 promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. So, okay, so you have so you have Milwaukee. I have no problem with that. I mean, I, I, I Toronto was, was dicey for me, whether I was going to include them or not. My next group, I framed it in terms of possible contenders. And so if Milwaukee and I had Toronto here have, have an easy case, these were teams where it's a reasonable case. I, I, it's not necessarily what I think is the most likely outcome, but I don't, it doesn't require me stretching my comfort zone too far. And so for me, that group, not in a particular order, but that group is Boston, Philly, Houston and OKC. There are reasons to believe all of those teams should be a tier down. There are not particularly reasons to believe those teams should be a tier up right Right. now. So that's kind of why they ended up where they were. Uh, My third tier is essentially they can take a shot at the Warriors. Like if they come out and they just smack Golden State in the mouth in game one, the way the 2016 Thunder did, where it was just like, whoa. Like, I mean, everyone was just caught off guard when OKC rolled into Oracle uh, and got that win. Like, that was, like, that fundamentally changed the entire context of the series. And those are, uh, those teams for me are OKC, Houston, Toronto, and Boston. Like, those are all teams that if you told me they won game one in Oracle, I'd be like, 
Okay. Yeah. Like good for them. Like they, they put themselves in a position to win the final or to win the finals. That's awesome. Or Western Conference finals. Like they win the, they put themselves in a position to beat the Warriors versus the tiers, the teams below them. I would be like, I cannot believe in under any circumstances they would do that. And I have the Sixers in that team below because I don't think, I can't see the Sixers going into, into Oracle and winning game one. I can't visualize it. A lot of my belief there is that the Sixers are an incredibly long team and the Warriors have had yeah. trouble with Joel Embiid over the years. And mm-hmm. they don't really have a good counter there. I'm sure they would love for DeMarcus Cousins to be that guy. He isn't. I don't think Andrew Bogut is that guy either, obviously. And they can make it work. Like For, for me, the Sixers are the ones that are straining it the most. And also, what what's so hard with them is we basically haven't seen the Sixers' best lineup together. I think they played something like 70 minutes, and they're also not deep. And so the Sixers, you, you brought up the idea of can they can a team force the Warriors when they're you know kind of in these mixed lineups or the second unit or anything like that, can they force the Warriors to junk up the rotation? Now, the Sixers can do it with their stars because their stars are that good, but there are a lot of exploitable pieces as long as you don't have DeMarcus Cousins guarding Mike Scott. Yeah. Houston, I think, is, a, is the most interesting team in this, in this group oh, because yeah. Houston is just, well, not like they're just, they're, they're not last year's team. Um, their fans will not admit this. They're just like, no, we're just like last year. No, we're, we're the best team in the Western Conference. We're going to beat the Warriors. James Harden's the MVP. We're just like last year. No, you are not. You are not at all. Last year's team was really good defensively, and this team is garbage defensively. They are horrible. Harden is on another level. Let's see him hold up in the playoffs because we've seen this happen time and time again where the, he gets drugged down by how physical it is, how tough it is, and all those minutes in the regular season. Um, let's see him keep it up. Let's see, you know, let's see these shooters like Gerald Green – um, and Gary Clark like hit these big shots in a fourth quarter of a road playoff game. Let's see it. But the other thing is, on the flip side, if they get past the first two rounds, which they can depending on the matchup, and they go up against the Warriors, we just talked about like their defense is fundamentally different. So this garbage defense turns into a juggernaut versus the best offense in the league. And that that kind of dichotomy makes it really, like, I, I absolutely believe the Rockets are a title contender, but I absolutely believe that in the wrong matchup, Houston gets bounced in round one, and that's wild. Again, a team that has baggage that will that I, I won't shake, and that's, for me, it's the series that they lost against the Spurs after Kawhi got hurt. I mean, Harden just running into that brick wall that was Pau Gasol time and time again. And while the Rockets are, you know, they're a different team now, I think that there, there are ways that they're better now than they were then. I mean, the talent level last year was ridiculous. The the analogy that I would make for those people who say, oh, yeah, it's the Rockets, the same, the, same, the same story as last year, it parallels for me the people who talk about a player who has gotten older and they say, oh, he hasn't lost a step. And I'm like, to me, why that bothers me is that you're disrespecting what they were. Last year's Rockets team was so damn good. And while this year's team has moments where they look like that team, 2017-18 Rockets were that almost every night. And it's very different to reach that level than to be at that level. Great point. Like I absolutely believe in this. And I'm with you on the respect what they did last year too. But that's what the thing is. Like I'm not I don't when I say that the Rockets aren't as good as last year, I'm not arguing the Rockets are bad. I'm arguing they're not as good as one of the best teams I've seen in the last ten years. That team could beat everybody. They did beat everybody. They had Golden State on the ropes. They should have won that series. But they didn't, and you missed your shot, and then you got a little bit worse. 
and I don't trust Kenneth Fareed, and I don't trust Austin Rivers, and I and Iman Shumpert is limited. Like I trust Iman, but I think he's limited. And like there's just a lot more question marks on this roster than there were last year, where it was like up and down. I don't have quite up and down last year. I was like, no, I trust Lokumbam Mute. No, I trust Trevor Ariza. No, I trust Eric Gordon. I trust all the stars, all of these guys. They can all make plays. And now it's like. I, they're guys they have to play because the rotation is so short this year. And, like, you're really relying a lot on Austin Rivers, man, and that's that's a tall order. It's tough. And I didn't focus on this as much. Originally, we were talking about that the Rockets should want to play the Warriors in the second round rather than the third round. I was thinking of it more because the Warriors are going to figure stuff out. But it's also true with Harden. I mean, he'll just be less worn down. He could be more in a rhythm. Depending on who they play in the first round, maybe that he'll be playing really well. And I, I think that's another argument in favor of Houston. I mean, I, I'm expecting the Warriors to end up in the one, so that would be a reason to kind of try to be in the 4-5, especially right now because I don't have a big line of distinction. It's more matchup dependent in terms of who the Rockets should, quote-unquote, want to play in the first round. Yeah, 100%. And, like, Denver is a is a big chunk in this, uh, in a bad way for Denver, in that if Houston gets the three, they're going to the Western Conference Finals. Like, I don't think... I don't think Utah or Portland can beat Houston, and I don't think OKC can beat them if uh, if Houston has home court. I think the other one's going to be a coin flip. But the one thing I do know is Denver can't beat Houston, and everybody in Denver knows it, and everybody in Houston knows it. They do, they cannot win that matchup. It's a nightmare for them. Um, and so like that's a huge swing in this is that if Denver winds up in Houston's bracket, Houston's going to the Western Conference Finals versus. You know, I mean, and the, like the interesting ones are like ideas of like Utah and those kind of teams about if Utah's got home court versus Houston and they get a good series at a Rubio with how bad Houston's defense is, does that fundamentally change things? But you know, like last time we talked and did this podcast, you know, I had the Nuggets in that second tier because I was like, they've earned it. Like their resume is just too good. And now I've slipped them down because I was like, all right, we're later in the year. We've seen them in some tough situations. They struggled a little bit since Isaiah Thomas got there. Their defense has fallen a little bit. Um, there's starting to be real questions about how they're going to match up with certain teams. Uh, so like they slid down a little bit into that third tier. Before we move on to that next tier, I want to talk about another interesting team here, and that's the Boston Celtics, a team that we both have in this. And for me, it's about their talent. I mean, Boston has the ability to be a wonderful defense. Kyrie Irving is unbelievable, and they have a lot of those kind of wing-sized guys they could throw at various matchups. And so, I mean, we saw it, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, early in the day. We saw it on Tuesday night when they beat the stuffing out of the Warriors. They have that in them. Now, I don't have them in the higher group because... I think that there are some matchups that can be challenging for them. Also, I mean, they've their lows have been incredibly low, like far different. I mean, Milwaukee, yeah, they lost to the Suns twice, but Boston has had stretches where they've just been awful. And I, I for me, that gives me more pause than it does. For yeah, Toronto. and it's like, yeah, and, and like Boston, Boston's relying so much on the idea of like Kyrie's basically like, eh, whatever, don't worry, we'll get to the playoffs and then we'll turn it on. Like Kyrie's over it. I think some of that, there's a lot of complicated mechanics with the chemistry in Boston. I think part of it is the rest of that team is still really hungry because they haven't won a title. And Kyrie got one in 2016 at a very young age. And so that fundamentally changed how he views success. He hasn't gone through an expanded drought of, of adversity where he was expected to succeed and he didn't. In Cleveland, those early years, he was like the Cavs were a mess, but he was always able to be blamed on other people. 
Um, and when he won in 2016, it just validated the idea of like, he's a superstar player. He hit the, sh- the game winning shot, et cetera. Like all this wound up changing the, the, like how he views things. And I think that's part of it is I think the, the Celtics are hungrier than Kyrie is. And we saw last night when Kyrie is engaged and he is hungry, like they're a monster. And so like, I just, I'm excited for these playoffs. I hope we get Boston, uh, Toronto. I don't think we're going to because of the way the matchups are looking. Um, but like Milwaukee, Boston would be incredible. Uh, Toronto, Philadelphia would be incredible. Indiana continues to be a, a pain, I think, in in all these series. Like this, these Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be awesome because of what the top level for all these teams look like is such a high level. There's a lot of potential there, and also because there is there's no team that of that group of of five that I feel totally certain of what they're going to be. And so, you know, there are stylistic things, there are coaching issues with a lot of these teams. And so you're sitting there going like, I mean, the one that's going to cause me the most trouble is if it's a, a Boston-Milwaukee series, because Boston's, it's more for me that Boston's offense has some really good pieces for creating seams in what Milwaukee, their main defense, but Milwaukee can shift some things around and make it work. But I don't know that I necessarily trust Budenholzer, even though they've gone to some switching, they have, they have some of these tools in their toolbox. They just haven't gone to them as much. So yeah, that's the series that would freak me out a little bit in terms of feeling like I have a handle on all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Meanwhile, like I, I really worry about Boston in a Toronto matchup. Because they've just been really put on their heels the last two seasons by Toronto. And Toronto's fundamentally different this year. But, like, you know, Marc Gasol is able to counter their big lineups with Aaron Baines and able to play Al Horford to a degree. I have some concerns about that. I think Horford can spread them out a little bit. But they can also put Siakam in and just be like, nope, we're going to switch everything. And now Horford's not getting any pick-and-pop threes. It's not happening. And they Boston can sometimes get into that situation if they have a single a dominant isolation scorer that they don't have the right guy to stop, that that guy can just eat and Kawhi Leonard can do that LeBron yeah. has done it in other years and and Kawhi what's so what's so kind of hard about defending him is that unless you have exactly the right person he's going to do his thing and it's going to have a pretty solid success rate and so you either have to score enough to do it or you have to figure out some way to get the ball out of his hands and it's like there are ways that Toronto will be playing ugly basketball but it might be more successful against Boston than some of the other teams yeah what's your tier four so my tier four, the way I would describe it is they've had a wonderful season, but they're not going to win a championship. And right. so that group for me is Denver, Utah, Portland, and Indiana. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I'm with you on those. My fourth tier is uh, three of those. It's Nuggets, Blazers. Uh, I've got Sixers there. Mm-hmm. Great season. Not going to win a title. Uh, and Utah. Um, <clears throat> Indiana's at a lower point based off of uh, the Victor Oladipo injury. Just... No matter how well they play, I cannot believe that they're going to be able to, to make a real run in the playoffs without Oladipo. It just fundamentally changes who they are and what they're capable of. You need that best player in a series, and they don't have it without Oladipo. Um, but Nuggets, Blazers, Sixers, Jazz, like those are all teams that have had fantastic seasons. They should be really proud of where they were. They should not t- catch grief if they are eliminated in the first round. They probably will. But like those are all teams that are just... They're really good teams that they're surrounded by teams that are a little bit better than them. Yeah, and it's, in some ways, this group and then the next one are the hardest ones to talk about because there isn't as much dissension. In, in, and, and the Pacers, I agree with you, one thing that also makes them different is because of the structure of the Eastern Conference playoffs, there isn't a way that they can get into a matchup that I like because there are four teams that I like better than them. And while the, they're having a wonderful season, they've been better 
since Oladipo was hurt than I ever expected for me to go, oh yeah, they're like, other than like, you know, they get out of to a surprising win in game one, maybe they even have home court. There are a couple different ways they could do that, but I, it's just not, I, I guess the the way that they make it out of the first round is if they can hold on the three seed and then I, I could see them beating whoever's the six. I can see them in a four five versus Philadelphia and everyone being like, well, the Sixers are going to win. I mean, they got Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid and, and Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. Like, come on. Yeah, just, and then the Sixers just – or the Pacers just outplay them. Yeah, it just like, goes I, to like a seven-game series. And unlike yeah. last year, they just they, – they put it together in that seventh game. Yeah, I could totally see that. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, the Sixers – I just think that the Sixers' capacity for failure is a lot higher. Oh, than yeah. Yeah, that that's very true. I was a little bit uncomfortable having them in the tier that I did, but I just think they have the the, the level of like talent. Guys like Joel Embiid, if if they're right by the playoffs, now there's a distinct chance that I will have them losing in the first round based on how I feel then. But you know, I'm giving some respect to their upside. I I actually don't think there's too much of a conversation that we need to have with this group. Okay, here's here's one I want to ask you of that of that collection. So I'll exclude the Sixers from you because I have them in higher tier. So let's go Nuggets, Jazz, Blazers. We don't know much about who they're going to play. Which of those teams in the abstract do you think is most likely to win one or more playoff series? Oof. I'll lean towards Denver because just from a math standpoint, they've got such a lead with tiebreakers, it's likely they hold on to the two. And if you told me the Clippers or Spurs knocked them out in the first round, I wouldn't be shocked. But the Denver Nuggets just have so much more talent than those teams. Just... They're just so much better in every capacity than the Clippers and Spurs are. Like, I get that the Spurs just beat them. I understand it, but I don't like LaMarcus Aldridge, who has the worst defensive rating on the Spurs right now. I don't like him having to play long, you know, him trying to carry a team. So, like, I don't trust LaMarcus Aldridge to carry a team. I don't trust DeMar DeRozan to carry a team. I don't know how much I carry. I trust Nikola Jokic and Paul Millsap and Gary Harris and Jamal Murray, but they have four options, and the Spurs have two guys with really, to me, questionable profiles, and then a great bench. The Popovich thing is definitely looming there, but I'm also of the opinion, I'm in the minority opinion, that Pops had some really rough playoff series um, in his time as well. He's stubborn in making changes, and that can be really tough for him. Uh, he's not great as an underdog. He, he has never been great as an underdog. He's better when he's in a position of strength. And so uh, I lean towards Denver, but I'm talking myself into Portland a little bit just because I just think, like, they've been under the radar. They do have a lot of weapons. I think Rodney Hood is giving them a different dimension, and Hood's not a guy I want to trust in. But that's the thing with all these teams, right? It's just like, can I really trust them? Can you trust Donovan Mitchell to be efficient in the second season? Can you trust the Jazz to be able to generate an offense when they're so schemable? Can you trust Ricky Rubio to hit mid-range jumpers with Portland? It's, can you trust Nicole, uh, Yusuf Nurkic not to make dumb plays or get played off the floor like he was last year? All these teams, it's a matter of trust. They're good teams. It's about trusting them in a tough series and I don't have a lot of faith in any of them. Portland, I think, has real potential to do, to muck up some stuff. Like Portland, I could see beating Houston. Like I could legitimately see Portland knocking off the Rockets. Um, even though I think the the, War, the Rockets could give the Warriors a run. And that's what's fascinating about these playoffs. It's I think it's I think most everything is going to be about matchups. Um, I'll go with Denver, but I think Denver and Portland are very close. Portland is fascinating because they do have that capacity. Nurkic is having this wonderful season. Their defense works against a lot of opponents. And then Damon and CJ are both just incredible offensive talents when they get it going. And there are 
teams with specific strengths that they just don't really have a good counter for. And fortunately for the Blazers, Drew Holiday isn't going to be in these playoffs. And there aren't as many of those just great guard defenders in their kind of that morass in the Western Conference. So that they, they won't get that kind of a thing. And so, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Still plenty of teams to discuss with Matt Moore, but a message from our friends at TrueCar. 60 seconds. That is exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with TrueCar. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a true cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to TrueCar and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you will get an accurate true cash offer from a local TrueCar certified dealer. It is that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they will check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there are no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you are ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar today. My next tier is, so originally it was just the Spurs and the Clippers, because the problem is from a record standpoint, those two teams are just kind of separate from everyone else, just with the way things worked out. You you would probably have the Pacers in this group as well. But I I just decided, I'm like, I'm going to put the Pistons in here too, because the Pistons are playing better than those two teams right now. The Pistons are actually, like, I think it's under it's underrated how well they're playing right now. And I'm just like, you know, even though they're probably not going to end up with as good a record as those teams, I think they're playing better right now. So damn it, they're in the tier two. I admire that pick. Uh, the Pistons having the best offensive rating since the All-Star break. That's a shocker. That's a, that's a nice little, there's a fun party Party, favorite, party, you know, comment to get conversation going at your local local pub. Well, here's another um, one. They're sure number people... they're, they're number one in net rating in the NBA since February 1st. That's crazy. That's just crazy. Um, barn burner conversations, obviously, Ooh. I'm talking about here. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I have the Pacers as, as a uh, tier of their own because of what we talked about earlier. And then the next tier, uh, I don't have the Pistons. And the reason I don't have the Pistons is they play in the East. And I'm sorry, but you don't get to be in the big boy conversation if you play in the Eastern Conference. And you're not significantly above 500 sorry you just don't get to if you're not significantly above 500 in the east you don't get to sit at the big kids table um i have three teams in it though i have clippers i have spurs and i have kings i think the kings are good they've lost they've lost the teams that were better than them uh but they're competitive every single night they give teams a lot of runs um i think that a lot of what's come down between clippers spurs and kings is just experience and bad luck and so i want to put those teams together i'll put clippers spurs and kings in the same group Sacramento just keeps on putting things together and believing that, and it makes me believe, you know, like this is to me, like they're a legit 500 team in the Western Conference. Like that, that's what they are. And that's really, really, really impressive. And I like some of what they can put together now. Yeah. And they've been, you know, the fact that they've grown so much too, and they lost Shumpert, which was a big thing of the trade deadline because he was their locker leader. And for them to rebound like that and still be competitive, they've got so much fight in them. With Fox and and healed. Oh, uh, quick, quick interjection. Can you explain why they traded Chumper? Like that, that I'm completely dumbfounded by that. Uh, I'd have to look at it. I would. Like basically, uh, that was basically it was Shumpert for Burks and Houston's 2020 second round pick. That's basically the trade that happened. I think they were probably just based off of um, like a lot of, a lot of guys just like Burks. That's what I would bet. I would bet they just like were like, oh hey, Burks give us something different. Rather than than Shumpert, I'm, uh, I want to say Shumpert's net rating on the Kings wasn't great either. But um, my my bigger thing is like, why did you trade for Barnes? That's the bigger one for me. Where I'm like, 
why why did why did you add in Barnes who is not terrible but he's just like he's a big looming thing that you have to deal with I I can answer that but I can't answer it from an on-court reason or originally on-court reason I mean basically if you if you played on the Warriors when Vivek was a part owner of the Warriors you should make sure that you look good in some workouts or in some games against the Kings because there will be some pressure to add you Ian Clark is shopping Ian Clark Uh, is shopping yeah I mean they already they already paid Carl um, Landry yeah so. so anyway I'm yeah. Oh man. Uh, so anyway, I've got those three teams, and then after that, I've got this. Just that's when we start to get in these bigger groups. I've got a whole like you said morass earlier. I've got a big morass here in this next tier. After you get out of the West playoff con- contenders, um, I've got Nets, Pistons, Magic, Heat, Hornets, Wizards, Wolves, all in this group of of well. You're not having a terrible season. Like at the top with the Nets, it's like you're not having a bad season. You're having a pretty good season for you to the Wolves, which is, well, you're not having a great season for you, but you're not terrible. Like all of these teams in that kind of range. Like the Wizards are three games out of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. That's hilarious to me. I split this into two separate groups, and the logic of it was I had a group that I called 500, and it's teams that are like, to me, they're about 500 teams. And so you had the Kings. I brought that up. And this is, for a lot of these teams, it's impressive that they're there. The Nets, I mean, I think the Nets would be above that if they had been healthier this season, but that's just the way things are. And even though they're not at that sort of a record, I'm putting the Orlando Magic here, damn it. I mean, they've been wonderful defensively. I brought up that Houston is the number one team in net rating since February 1st. The Magic are number two. It's insane. And I don't think they're as good as they've been during that period of time. But, you know, are they like, are they a 500 caliber team right now? Yeah, I think that's about what they are. I like it. <clears throat> I like it. I mean, the Magic keep... The problem with the Magic is their win profile is horrible. Like, it's I so weird. <laughs> like, they have some good wins, and they have some... Like, for me, it's more their loss profile that bothers yeah. me. Like, they... Yeah, they that's, that's, that's the thing, right? Is like, win profile is like, you know, it, it, I use that term, but it's also yeah. about, like, yeah. like, who do you beat, who do you lose to? And, that, and the thing is, they're in the worst spot to me, and everyone's like, yeah, but they can they can beat all these teams. They can be pesky. It's like, you're not going to get there if you don't beat teams that are worse than you. You're not going to get to the playoffs unless you beat the teams that are worse than you, and you never do that. Yeah, this, like the San Antonio model. You know, beat every team that's worse than you, and then pick off a few games against teams that are better than you. You'll make the playoffs every year. Yeah, and they just the the Magic don't do that, and it continues to seriously cost them in an Eastern Conference where this stuff is not hard. Like they're sixteen and twelve versus teams under five hundred. Um, the team above them, the Miami Heat, is seventeen and thirteen, a considerably better better gap there in their in their wins versus losses the hornets are 18 and 11 um the pistons are set the pistons are here because they are 21 and 10 versus teams under 500 that's how you make the playoffs versus if you're just four games over 500 um versus teams under under 500 like that's really bad so orlando like that's why they wind up in this whole huge gap what's shocking though um so i mentioned the clippers and the spurs and the kings in that tier above danny and then in this one i mentioned the nets the pistons the magic the heat the hornets the wizards the wolves guess who i left out a certain team with LeBron James. It seems well, like it seems like they're a, not- a notable exception. I have the Lakers in it. I have LeBron James's Los Angeles Lakers in their own tier beneath the Nets, the Pistons, the Magic, the Heat, the Hornets, the Wizards, the Wolves. And I think the the best argument in favor of that, and mine are just structured a little bit differently, but I have them in a tier with some of, with some of those teams. Is that they've been so awful since LeBron came back. 
Like, this is not a circumstance of LeBron missed more games than he ever has in his career. They sucked during that point, and were it not for his his injury, they would be fine. Like, yeah, they're, they're, if they had been better over the last couple of weeks, that would have been an easy argument. They've been worse since he came back than they were when he was gone. Yeah, and the other thing I think is that um, one thing I, I was really keen on, because I did a, a breakdown of them in December, um, and when I, no- I looked at it, I noticed, I was like, the veterans all have really good net ratings. When they were playing well, when they were winning games, Rondo was a plus for them. Lance Stevenson was a plus for them. JaVale was a plus for them. Uh, and the kids were the, were the negatives. And since they've been on this run where they've lost their games consistently, Ingram has been a plus and Kuzma has been a plus, but the veterans have been bad and they've lost games. And so to me, that tells you like they needed the veterans to play well more than they needed the kids to play well. Um, you know, Lonzo's injury obviously I think has, has an impact here, even though I'm not a Lonzo guy. It definitely like was a guy that was missing that might have gotten him over a few of the bad games that they had, but. You know, they just completely fell apart. And the biggest, bigger problem is just like they quit to a man. LeBron on down. Like they quit on the season. Um, this team really lacked heart. And that's shocking for, I don't remember the last Heat team that, or not Heat team, LeBron team that really lacked heart. Um, maybe the 2011 Heat because of how much they were regarded as villains. And that really kind of messed the things up. But even they overcame a little bit of adversity to make the finals. Um, like they rallied. And this Lakers team just, the, everyone collectively quit. I like that you brought up the 2011 Heat. That team losing to the Mavericks has always bothered me because they, they should have, there were a couple, there were some tactical mistakes. And also once they got hit in the mouth, I thought they were just going to come back and be like, oh yeah, that's right. We have way more talent than you do. And that Dallas team, you know, I'm happy that for them that they won a championship and everything like that. I'm not trying to disrespect them. And Miami, they added a lot of kind of complimentary pieces over those subsequent years that probably would have prevented the kind of yeah. failings that they, that they ended up having. And so it was kind of an important object lesson and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, LeBron's teams haven't done that. And even last year, let's say their defense was abysmal during the season, but they weren't, they weren't defeated. They just weren't good defensively. Like it was, it was a very different feel of the team than the Lakers have had this year. And it might be, you know, the idea that some of those guys were going to get traded. It could also be my bigger thing is that a lot of pieces that didn't make sense together. And, and also, I mean, the fact of the matter is every NBA team pretty much unless you have a charmed season like the Hawks did and then they hit their they hit their bump in the road in the playoffs because when everybody got hurt the, every team is going to have a stretch where things just go wrong it could be injuries it could be you know somebody says something on the plane and it gets pissed off or something like that and some teams just don't bounce back from that i mean there was a pacers team a couple of years ago and it didn't make sense. They were on paper and then all of a sudden they just fell apart and it, it does happen. And it's, it, you know, the, I've written before about the human element and I usually focus on it in terms of like what a guy prioritizes in free agency or when he decides this situation isn't right. It feels like that's a part of this story, even though I think it's a smaller part of the story than the personnel decisions and the talent that they have. Going back to that tier above real quick. I want to ask you a question. Okay. Um, did you have Hornets and Heat in that group, or was it just Magic with the with the Pistons and Nets? Okay, so I had the Pistons with the Spurs and Clippers. Then I had Magic, Nets, Kings by themselves. And then I had this group of, I called it out in the West, maybe in the East, of Pelicans, Wolves, Heat, Hornets, Lakers. I think, and, and, and part of why I had that is, 
I think in a theoretical top 16 format, the teams in the West would, they wouldn't have like imploded to a degree as much as they have because the incentives would have been different. You know, they would have been three games out as opposed to eight. And so maybe then, I mean, the Pelicans probably, you know, what happens probably still happens. Minnesota, I I keep on liking kind of, it it sucks. It sucks for for me that they're in the West because even though I think there's some signs that they could kind of figure this out and be a fun team next year. I'm still not sold that they're like a 40, like 48 win team next year and the West might be really good. So like, there's a lot that I'm happy about with them. Like maybe, maybe they could end up being a good story next year, but I'm saying they're going like, well, what is that? What is that going to give us? And I'm not sure about that. And that's not fair. Like it's not, it's not really fair to them, but I like a lot of the pieces that they have together. Towns has been a lot. Towns has been great. You know, Akoki's coming on. They're going to get Covington back soon. I don't know what Jeff Teague's going to decide with his player option, but I, I, I kind of like that. Like, so for example, if you swapped the Timberwolves and Hornets in conferences, I, I think I like the Timberwolves better as a team than I like the Hornets personally. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm with you on that. Um, <clears throat> of that group of Heat, Hornets, Magic, and I'll throw the Wizards in there as well. Who do you like the most? I know it's a tough question of, of more like who do you dislike the least, but who do you like the best out of that Heat, Hornets, Magic, Wizards group? I feel like if they were to play a tournament, I would pick the Heat to win. Just because Ooh. they they battle through everybody and they're just they're just a pain in the ass. But I would pick the Magic. I think the Magic are the most likely to make it out of that group. They've been they've been playing well. Their defense makes sense. And I I, I don't know. I guess I I'm okay with the theory of their team a little bit now. And they're kind of looking to me a little bit. You know, in terms of some of the signature elements of a Steve Clifford team. You know, like trying not to turn the ball over as much, being solid defensively. Like they have that kind of story. But I don't know. It's probably between. Those. Wait, did you include the Nets in that group? No, like okay, me, yeah, yeah, because to me they're they're, they're above. Yeah, well, yeah like, the Nets and Pistons are above. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, um, I just keep going back to, to Charlotte, man. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a reason to do that too. I can't quit this team. Like they're plus two point three in net rating with Cody Zeller <laughs> on the floor. Yep, team that this ad. Like that's good. Marvin Williams is at one point six, and the shot's been better. They have Kimba Walker. Like. I just keep being like, Charlotte should be better. They just should be better than this. And they keep finding ways not to be like, I expect them to lose to the Heat because they're up 2-1 in season series and this would give them tiebreaker. Like, that would be a huge win for Charlotte. So I'm like, they're definitely not winning this game. Um, and it's just like, I, I just, I keep looking at it as Charlotte and being like, you should be, like, both Toom's having a good season. Like, they should be better. It's infuriating. Something that really concerns me about Charlotte, this is something I hadn't thought about until a couple days ago. I looked it up after the Blazers loss. They don't really have many games left against bad teams. They have a lot of games against, you know, all right teams that they could end up handling, especially like with the way their seasons are going. You know, like they play the Lakers. They, I think they still have a game against New Orleans, like those types of games. But they're mostly against teams that like either are trying or kind of might be trying. And that is a pretty big distinction right now. Right. Yeah, I, 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 I've been on the Charlotte boat for such a long time. I thought that, you know, like, especially because they've so consistently underperformed their point differential, which incidentally, oh, never mind. They're, they're down to 24th in, in that already. They, they were up to like 16th, I think, cause they got, they got whooped in a couple of games. And so that ended up changing their, their relation to point differential. But yeah, uh, it is really frustrating. Um, after the Lakers, I have a group of, um, these are teams that are basically like, like bad. But pesky, that's my my group here, and it's uh, the Pelicans who continue to just kind of screw with people um, now that they're they're kind of have settled into a rhythm with the ghost of Anthony Davis. 
Um, the Mavericks, just because Luka can have a night every now and again. The Grizzlies, because the Grizzlies are still trying to convey that pick. So, like, they caught Portland last night. Like, they're just going to sneak up on teams and, and give them and and throw wrenches, uh, spanners into the works, as, as a, somebody informed me that's the term. Um, the, uh, the, like, the Grizzlies beat the Lakers. Like, they, they, all these teams are playing spoilers. And at the bottom of this is Pelicans, Mavericks, Grizzlies, Bulls, and Hawks. Both top ten offenses since the trade since the All Star break. Um, I love the Bulls again. I'm back on the wagon. I was on it last year, and I jumped off on this year, and they were terrible with Jabari Parker and all that stuff, and they were just a, a, a horrible mess. I'm back in, baby. I I love watching this Bulls team. They're a lot of fun. I love this Hawks team. John Collins, Trey Young, and Horder. Like I love. The, like watching these young teams, it's so great having these young teams not be tanking. Like the fact that these teams are still competing every night means that like below this, I only have I have a tier with the Cavs and Suns because those are like okay, they're they're respectable teams, and then at the very bottom by themselves is the Knicks. But really, like the Cavs, the Suns, and the Knicks are the only three teams, and even those teams are still trying to compete. Like no one's really tanking except maybe Dallas. Like no one else is really trying to lose. Everybody else is trying to be good, and it's made for really good basketball this year. What has fundamentally changed things, and I never saw this coming, was that there was this huge gulf between the bottom five and everyone else, and some of that was due to circumstance. You know, like the Hawks missing John Collins at the beginning of the year and just not having anyone else who could play at that position, and the Bulls got better. They they added Otto Porter. He he helped the rotation. They they got, it simplified things, and also they got they had all these injuries at the beginning of the year. I mean, they still have Wendell Carter out, but you know they had. Chris Dunn missed extended time. Levine missed some time. I mean, Hutchison, I'm, that's that's not the same kind of story. But the, those teams, they're their best version of themselves right now. And what makes me so happy is they don't really have a disincentive to keep pushing because they have created. So like right now, those teams are playing materially better than some of the group that's above them in terms of record. But because they banked so many losses early in the season, it's going to be hard. Like right now, as we record this, I like to look at the wins columns for bad teams because that's you know that's kind of what you're making up and then I look at the loss column for good teams the Hawks are five games they have five fewer wins than the Mavericks so even if they play really well that's a lot of ground to make up in like 16 17 games so if I were you know Travis Schlenk and any of that stuff say you know like hey we we'd love to have the best draft pick we can but it doesn't matter like yeah maybe and, and they're four games clear of the Bulls also so with those teams they can do that without too much of a consequence I think people are underrating at the very bottom you know there is a, a meaningful difference between the number one and the number three let's say because of the downside part of it because now that the lottery reform is so balanced like that can make the difference of whether you're the four pick or the six granted maybe in this draft people don't care that's entirely possible i haven't done my scouting yet but i love that the way it was the way this season became structured the top teams the like the teams that are above the dregs at the beginning of the season can't fall far enough and those teams can't rise too high so it gives them an incentive to just keep pushing yeah 100 percent. and i i think that's that's great and like that's what we want. Is you want you want the games to be fun late in the season. You don't want to be like oh, I don't want to watch any of these games. Like I just don't want like Suns Knicks is tonight, and that's one where I'm like I can't. I just I just, I know the Suns have been better, but I can't. I just can't get into that one. But 
Like Bulls Hawks, that was an incredible game the other night. It, it really like, was, and, and I've enjoyed those teams playing a lot of other ones, I, like a lot of other opponents. Like they can, the Hawks have these stretches where they just like have a quarter, and you go, "Oh my god!" Like, can you imagine what this team is going to be when they get better? Like they yeah. have those stretches. I'm a little, I'm less on the Bulls camp than you, but I've enjoyed watching them for the season. For me, it's more like, "What are they next year?" Like to me, they're a, kind of a fringe playoff team is is a very recent possibility, which might be kind of crazy. But you think about we we just don't know what the East is going to be like. Yeah. It's it. And I guess as we're getting towards the end, that was something I was thinking about the other day. We, uh, Nate and I were doing a, a Patreon mailbag and somebody asked us who is your most likely conference champion in each conference for 2020. And it got into a question of just like where these conferences are going is really, really, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, look at Kawhi leaves in the summer, right? Then Toronto is just in complete upheaval. Because they're they're going to have to go back with Kyle Lowry and Marc Gasol and a year older, and that could get really rough. Um, the Sixers might figure it out and get it together, but Jimmy Butler might leave. That could fundamentally change dynamics. But Simmons could make a jump, or Embiid could get to another level. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with the Celtics this summer. Like anything, the Celtics could wind up with Anthony Davis and Kyrie Irving and Jason Tatum, um, or they could wind up with. Only one of those got with only Tatum. Um, like all these things are happening. Like Milwaukee, the Middleton question continues to loom in terms of are they going to they paid uh, they paid Bledsoe and they're obviously going to pay Giannis, but that means they're going to have to pretty much choose between Middleton and Brogdon, and that's a hard choice. Like there's going to be a lot of upheaval continuing in the Eastern Conference, and I think some of the teams are going to continue to get better. And then you know I still look at Brooklyn and I'm like everybody knows that they're playing well. Like people talk about that. Like players are talking about like Brooklyn plays well, man. Like they play smart. Like they got something going there. They got a good roster and they've got money. They got all the money in the world. So like as they go forward, that's going to be really interesting to watch. Like there's all these teams that are really fascinating, even if it's like the East, but that also means that they've got the biggest growth potential. Cause in the West, you know, in the West, like KD can lead for the Knicks and the Rockets will think like we've got a better chance and the Thunder will think like, well, we've got a better chance, but I keep, I've been asked this a couple times, who's the favorite in the Western Conference next year? And I'm like, it's still going to be Golden State. They're still going to have Steph Curry. They're still going to have Draymond Green. They're still going to have Clay Thompson, most likely. Like, they're still going to have those guys. That team won 73 games. Like, that's still your favorite. And so in the East, I think there's, there's more instability, but there's also more room for growth, which I think is really interesting. A huge point of difference between the top teams at the two conferences is that the top teams in the West are asset poor outside of their good players, and the teams in the East are mixed. You know, like, for example, the Celtics are asset rich. They have all these future picks. They have a lot of interesting young players. The Raptors could swap some of their pieces around. I mean, it would all depend on what Kawhi does. And then the teams in the West, you know, Houston, their pick situation, you know, they they don't have any extras and their own are not super valuable. They're spent up with all their stuff. OKC, it's incredibly hard for them to get a lot better unless they swindle people in trades, which has happened before, can happen again. Blazers are in a similar story. You know, it's hard for them to get a lot better. And so, like, in the East, it's kind of about which teams stay together and which teams build and which teams fall off. And in the in the West, it's really the question is, can somebody, Clippers are a team, Lakers are, are one as well, can somebody put something to throw themselves into or above that conversation? It's entirely possible to me that they can, but the stability of basically everyone in the West at the top is going to be jarring. Like, I think we're going to, we're like the off season is going to be other than, you know, Durant and all that kind of stuff. It's mostly going to be spent talking about 
the Eastern Conference, like, which of those teams load up and which of those teams just lose out. Yeah, and there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers, and that's going to change a lot, too. Yeah, and, and also, like, I mean, something, and this is, we can look at in both conferences, you brought up the Nets, and I, and I like that one, too, of which of these kind of teams on the rise, how quickly do they start to figure this out? So on, on the east side, you have the Nets, maybe the Magic, depending on what, they, what they're doing right now is real, what is not, the Hawks, the Bulls, like, okay, what are those teams that they're not established, but they could get into that mix? And also, like, how many teams are above them is going to be a big question. And in the west, you know, like, Sacramento... Minnesota, there's a lot. I mean, Dallas is going to have Porzingis next year. Like, so of those teams, like who uh, who can who can use what they've done this season as a springboard, and how many spots are there to springboard into? Yeah, I mean, because like part of it is you know Denver had this great run to start of the season, and they tailed off a little bit, and everyone's kind of expecting a disappointing relative to to standing spot uh, playoff finish for them, which I think is reasonable, but. Denver's not going anywhere. Like, they're not going anywhere. They got Jokic, they've got Harris, they've got Murray, they've got Barton, uh, they've got Craig. They're going to keep. Uh, they're probably going to have Malik Beasley. They they they're going to get Michael Porter Jr. next year. They're going to have Monte Morris. Like they're going to be a good team. Like the Nuggets are just going to be a good team. Um, the Blazers, I think, are an interesting one with Dame. Uh, but as long as he's still engaged, they're going to be good. Um, you know the uh, the Jazz aren't going anywhere. They're only going to. I think they can only get better if they swap out Rubio for an actual like real offensive point guard. They're going to be, I think, a Western Conference Finals favorite. Uh, there's there, these teams are all going to be there, and so that's one of the things is is I think there's more traction for the teams at the bottom. Like if the Hawks get Zion, like two years from now, whoa, like look out. You got Trey Young, you got Zion, you got Collins. That's a core. Um, if the Bulls get Zion. And you've got Markkanen and Zion and, you know, Levine just continues to kind of be the dude that he is. And, and, uh, that combo, like, that's really good. Um, all of these teams, like, I think that they can get a lot better and they can continue to improve versus, like, the bottom of the West. I'm kind of like, I don't know how the Wolves get better. I don't know how they get, get to the next level outside of just, like, like, they can get better by talent becoming what he's going to become. And that gets them near the playoffs, but it doesn't make them a contender. The Pelicans are going to be stuck. The Grizzlies are going to be stuck. Uh, they're kind of just trapped there. And so the big question is the Lakers. And, uh, you know, can the Lakers make a big move that winds up, um, that winds up really shaking things up and, and, Man, this is why the offseason is so popular in the NBA. Like, all this stuff can happen, and it's wild. It's also going to be about defining success, because, like, as you brought up, like, the teams that are going to be there, like, for me, it, you know, barring injuries, obviously there are things like that could affect it. The top six teams in the West, we've talked about the jockeying from three through six, I think all those teams are going to be back. Like, there there isn't a reason to believe that any one of them will be materially worse next year due to age or anything in a way that would take them out of the playoff picture. You know, like, yeah, the Warriors could be significantly worse at Kondrakos. They're not missing the playoffs. Like, that's not what's happening here. And Denver, I I think they're well-suited for a long run. Houston's going to have CP and Harden and Clay Capella, all those type of things. So let's say you take that. That means there are only two spots left. And there are a bunch of different teams that have a bunch of different mentalities. And there is a distinct possibility that, like, let's say it's the Clippers, puts a team together that becomes another undeniable. So then the Lakers, the Kings, all like whoever else kind of thinks they're putting together, they're all going for one spot. It's amazing. 
Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be so much fun. So the, the usually when we end one of these, and I'm going to do the same thing, is just what are you looking at over the next couple of weeks? Like what, what teams are you trying to figure out? What situations are you most interested in? Uh, I want to see if OKC can pull itself out. I have a lot of faith in that team. Like I believe OKC's ceiling is as dangerous as anybody in the Western Conference. They've got Paul George. Russ can play better. He's been playing better as of late. Um, they got Their defense I know can be elite, but they just haven't played to it. If they get their defense back to where it needs to be, I've seen Billy Donovan teams dip in March before and then turn it on in the playoffs. Uh, that's something I'm really looking at. I want to see, you know, Houston. Can they? It feels like their defense is playing better, but the numbers don't back that up. Can they get their defensive rating back closer to where it needs to be, around 106, 107 versus 108? Like Harden's at a 111 right now. It's just too high. You can't be giving up 111 points per 100 possessions for 40 minutes a game. You can't do that. You're not going to be able to go where you want to go unless you improve that defense. Um, there are ones I'm looking at. Boston's obviously one that's, that's really key. Um, I want to see if Denver can just kind of – they don't need much. Denver needs to rattle off just a few more wins. They got one versus the Lakers, then they're going to lose to the Warriors. But then they get the Wolves. And if they can win two of the next three, they're going to be sitting pretty for a two seed, and that's a big accomplishment for them, and they can start shifting more towards how do we get ready for the playoffs. Um, I want to see if the Jazz can actually capitalize on this easy schedule. They're supposed to – they've got this remarkably easy schedule. Can they get there? Um, the Kings and the Spurs. Look, the Kings and Spurs have the 24th and 25th uh, ranked strength of schedule remaining. So they're both facing easy teams. Who takes care of business? Who gets there and who doesn't? The Clippers are in. I know where they're going to be. They're going to be in the seven, in the seventh spot. I feel pretty confident about that. Um, and then in the East, I'm actually pretty interested in, in all these. And I'm, I mean, I am interested to a degree as much as they're mediocre teams, but I'm interested in six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, I want to know who winds up in all those spots and and where those teams shake out because there's a lot riding on that. The Heat miss the playoffs, that's a big deal. Um, if the Pistons miss the playoffs, that's a big deal. If the Hornets miss the playoffs, that's a big deal. So there's stuff that's riding on getting one of these last two spots, even if, even if as it is, it's a low bar to get. Making the playoffs is still an accomplishment, so I'm going to be tracking all that stuff going forward. Those are all really good choices. I'll, I'll split mine into three camps. The first one are the ceiling teams that we just need to see more of it. So that's, for me, the Sixers, just because we haven't seen those guys play together. The Rockets get the defense. You, you brought that up well. And the Celtics. I just want to, you know, what version of them do we see over the next couple of weeks? And, you know, going more broadly, you know, where are they on April 5th? And April, like, I, I think about April 5th more than April 12th because, you know, th- sometimes there can be a little bit of, of wonky stuff the last week of the season depending on where, where things stand. That's one group. The second group, which I think I'm going to end up watching a lot, are the, the kind of the fun, feisty young teams. You know, so maybe they're not going to be in the playoff mix like the Hawks and the Bulls, but they're playing hard. And because when they play against not necessarily the best teams, because they'll generally lose those games like that, there was a Hawks heat game a couple days ago that was pretty interesting. Like they, sometimes they draw me in with that sort of, sort of it. And then the third group is just figuring out what the hell is going on three through six in the West. <laughs> like those are all teams that have, that have really interesting presence that have like that, that match up against each other in strange ways. And that also like, I mean, Utah with their schedule, like the game, the Pelicans have been playing well. Like, I think I don't want to say like, Oh yeah. Oh, they lost the Pelicans. That's bad. But you know, like if the jazz take care of business, they can put themselves in so much better of a position, but they have to actually do it. Yeah. And that's the thing. And all these teams have, are they playing the West? There's going to be big games. They got to capitalize. It's going to be really fascinating to see how this shakes out. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at the Action Network. You can follow him on Twitter if for some reason you don't already at HP Basketball. And hopefully you can hear him on he do, when whenever he does podcast appearances. He's particularly good with Adam Maris on Locked On Nuggets. Matt is based in Denver and he has really good insights on that team. So can keep an eye on that. And of course, Adam does great work otherwise. And wherever he appears, it's a good reason to follow Matt on Twitter as well, of course. I'm excited to see where these things go. I mean, which of the teams that are playing well or poorly continue which of them was just was it a an aberration one way or the other is is compelling and it's still this is kind of like another dog day section there's one part before the all-star break and then there's another part after where it's just like teams seeing the finish line but not being at the finish line so sometimes it's a hard time of year to evaluate but still engaging product, of course, and everything like that. You can also hear, of course, my thoughts dunked on. Nate and I did a very detailed breakdown of the Lakers situation. That was a part of the 15 and 60 podcast, which came out Monday morning. We did our awards podcast, which came out on Wednesday. I have an opinion that some people are finding controversial. I'm fine with that. I'm confident in, in my opinion. That's totally fine. You can listen to that. Uh, it was it surprised me to be honest and so we'll we'll see where that goes and also my writing of course at the athletic I have a couple of things that are in, in the hopper right now. They're going to be through the editorial pro. I'm going to put into the editorial process over the next couple of days. And of course, Real Jam Radio will be back next week. I don't know exactly where I want to go with it, but I have a couple of good ideas and already have one potential guest lined up. We'll see where it goes. If you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It is great if it's Apple Podcasts. I understand if it's not. And if you want to be super awesome, if you use something else, you can leave a review both places. And really what that's about is getting people to find the show. And it's the same thing with subscribing and downloading every episode, whatever can move you up in the rankings that just leads people who are looking for a basketball podcast or something else to find the show. And I really do appreciate it. Can also use word of mouth. If, if that makes you happy, you can say, Hey, this episode, this podcast, something you like, you can do social media, you can do it in person, whatever you want to do. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to, to handle that. I really do appreciate it. I read everything. It goes to a, a separate line in my in my inbox, and I really do go through it. I go through everything. I don't always respond. I don't always respond quickly because my time is inconsistent in terms of that kind of availability, but I do read everything because that is exceedingly important to me. And the most important thing, though, that you can do with this show or any other one is to check out our advertisers, betonline.ag, use that podcast one promo code for a 50% signup bonus, and TrueCar. You can sell or trade in your car using that true cash offer. It's a really cool thing and I used to actually work in the car business, and so to have some consistency and ease in it is is great. We'll back next week, don't know exactly what the topic is, have a couple of different ideas, and thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day.